she endured extreme domestic violence, so much so that she's still having surgeries as a result of injuries today. She broke free, and now she dedicates her life to helping others in domestic violence situations and special needs families. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders. Because, at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at fhehealth.com. That's fhehealth.com health.com under programs you'll find details about shatterproof joining us from the atlanta georgia area victoria Cure on the phone victoria that's her pen name she's written a book called who kicked first a personal memoir she's a paralegal she's a master's degree two black belts and went through a horrible horrible case of domestic violence and, and now dedicates her life to helping Victims of domestic violence and special needs families. Victoria, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This is unfortunately something that happens way too often. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Victoria. I don't know what it's going to take to get through to, to society that putting your hands on people, domestic violence, and by the, maybe, maybe it's partly the phrase, beating people. And assaulting people, whether you're married to them or not, is not proper, it's not right, and it's illegal, and no one should be doing it. End of story. Absolutely. I, I don't get it. In my years of police work, it was one of the most frustrating things in the world to see because you wind up going to the same houses all the time, for the same calls, domestic violence, and unless there was actual evidence... There's not a whole lot you could do about it. And even when there was, when right. the laws started changing after Torrington, Connecticut, you started arresting people because of fear, they wouldn't prosecute and nothing would happen. Uh, and sometimes we wound up being dispatched there for the, the, the victim who had been beaten for so long was killed. Yes, that's basically the same here. And it, it's a, a heartbreaking cycle to go through. I don't know what the answers are. And I'm so glad you're here to tell your story because I, I think a lot of people are like me. Even those experienced, even those trained, even those who've gone through years of dealing with this really are not well equipped to understand the situation from the victim's point of view. And that's a word I don't like using, but there's not a word that fits. 
Correct. And it's also very scary for an officer from their point of view going in. Isn't that one of the higher threat level calls for you to go on? Oh, yeah. Domestic violence calls, family disturbance calls can be very violent and very, very dangerous. Right. You did not set out to wind up in this type of situation. I don't think anybody does, do they? No, nobody at all does. We are pulled in by a very charming, charismatic genius. They really are incredibly smart because they play on what you are missing. And in the court shape period, when they're in their courting phase, they they just almost make you like a trophy where they're so proud and boisterous about you and brag about you to their family. And look at what I have. This is amazing. And then they like literally rush you down on roller skates hypothetically to, you know, the, uh, we have to get married. We've been so long without each other. I don't want to wait anymore. And it literally just is a tailspin to get into a situation with someone like that because nobody says, Hey, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to find myself someone who's going to beat me. That just doesn't happen. That's not realistic. This is not. And we go through such, excuse my French, we go through, there's no other way to look at it. There's no nicer way to look at it. And society doesn't put enough emphasis on helping the abuser. And I know you know, for all of your years, thank you for what you've done, is the fact that you come into the situation and it is a he said, she said. You do take one and the other takes the other and it's you can't do anything about it. And it just keeps happening. I had so much proof and I kept going back and going back and saying, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And it was just like, what is it going to take to get help here? And I had no one, literally no one. First of all, I'm sorry. And that that's, that doesn't really mean a whole lot over the phone in a radio studio, but I'm sorry you went through this. No one should have to go through this. I'm a father of two daughters. My dad was queer Navy guy. He was gone a lot. I was raised by my mother, have four younger sisters. And this kind of stuff is just not tolerated. When someone has an issue, let's just say a, a young man has issues in his teenage years. If the father's not around to help. The mother's not around to help. The neighbors would help. And they'd get involved, the neighborhood boys. And we teach people how to have respect for each other. And sometimes it wasn't done nicely. But we learned our lessons. You didn't do these sorts of things. And there's an old saying, I, I don't know whether it's true or not. I'd love to hear your input. Hurt people hurt other people. And I see sometimes cases of people dealing with trauma, dealing with violence growing up, all sorts of other things, and that becomes an explanation for why they're abusers. I don't believe, in my opinion, that is an excuse at all. I agree. agree completely. I, I talk to a lot of families, and I encourage them to bring their children of age, not you know, young kids, obviously, but their their families, their you know, people who are not supportive, because I really get into a different dynamic and way of looking at things, and I kind of try to bring them in, and I have dealt with so many really stubborn individuals that say, well, that's her fault. Why did she stay? Why didn't she leave? You know, she asked for it because she stayed, and and you know, I I actually love when I get the opportunity to discuss that because I bring a light to it that a lot of people haven't seen. And it, you're absolutely a thousand percent true. 
And it's just, there's not enough knowledge. There's not enough um, awareness being brought to the forefront to help get this under control, especially now that COVID has been here and everybody's in place. The numbers of domestic violence are going through the roof and nobody's helping. And you have people that are trying to get out, trying to go to a shelter, and they're booked because of COVID. There's no openings, but you can't get in and you're making us stay with our attacker. We have all these empty buildings in place. We have all these other facilities that are in place. Why can't we use some of that and help these women and children before it's too late? Yeah, I certainly don't have the answers to that. I, I, I do know this. When I started in policing in 1980, it was different. Somewhere in the early 80s, the mid-80s, there was a, a landmark case out of Torrington, Connecticut, involving an extreme case of domestic violence. And from that point on, every police department in the United States changed the way they did things. And, and what we were instructed to do before that incident, it was it, you would give them the information, you take a report, and you'd be up to the victim, there's that word I don't like again, to go swear out a warrant for that person's arrest because unless it was committed in our presence we didn't have the ability to arrest them when it came down to this Torrington Connecticut case if we believed or we saw any evidence of domestic violence or believed that when we left that there was a reasonable chance that someone be harmed somebody had to go to jail that's just the way it was and I've had guests on the show that followed through that recently and wound up being arrested and charged and fired for doing just that. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break, return our conversation with Victoria Cure. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420 or online at fhehealth.com. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with Victoria Corre. She is a domestic violence survivor, also an advocate for other domestic violence victims, special needs families, She's written a book called Who Kicked First? A Memoir. She also has a website, I believe it's called a acontagioussmile.com, where you can get more information as well. Victoria, this is, most of my conversations on Law Enforcement Show are tough. They're difficult. This is one that uh, yeah. I'm very, very sensitive about because I'm uncomfortable, and I don't know where to ask. So what I would like you to do is a lot of people don't understand how someone winds up in a situation and how bad it can get. Can you talk about 
your situation? Absolutely. I Let me back up for a moment so I can give you a little background. I was in the corporate world. I had everything else going for me except I wanted to be a wife and mother. More than anything, that's what I felt I was lacking in my life. Prior to that, I had been with a police officer I had dated for four years. He was the love of my life, and we broke up. And only time in my life, Jay, ever, I rebounded was with this monster. And I met him. He was very charismatic, very charming, very alluring, not physically attractive, which is fine because, you know, looks fade. I'd rather have someone on the inside that's a nice gentleman, true guy. And it was just, I traveled for work, so we didn't see each other all the time like people normally do in the dating courtship period. And he literally was just that charismatic, sweet guy that you're like, mm, no, something's not right. Like you just kind of feel it. And then you're kind of like, well, maybe I'm just not over what I went through. And he knew how bad I wanted children. And he went so far as to talk about things that he had seen overseas. He went on to, he was active duty military. Um, I didn't know that in the, right in the very, very beginning. And he would talk about how his whole family was nothing but foster families and they fostered so many kids and that's who he grew up with and his love for kids. And he now feels like he's ready to settle down and have that family. And we've both not had what we've looked for for so long. Why should we go any longer without it? And when I would try to put the brakes on and say, hey, it's going a little fast, he would give me some sob story. And I honestly started to feel like I am a jerk because here I am being so shallow to someone who has done nothing wrong by me. And I'm like, we need to slow down and just take a break. And and, and he was like, we have been not together long enough. Let's start our life. Let's start, you know, living happiness and togetherness. And, and so next thing I know, I'm on my wedding day. And I this tells you how old that I am. I'm sitting on the floor, getting ready with my Palm Pilot in my hand, looking at airfare to return back, because we had gone out of town to get married. And I knew this was wrong. Every product in my being knew that this was not right. But I, I started just sitting there and closed my eyes and thought about it. And I prayed about it. And it was like something calming came over me and was so just almost like a sense of relief. And he he said to me, I have a wedding gift for you. And my grandparents meant the world to me. I don't even know how he got it. I have no idea to this day how he got it. He found a picture of my grandparents that was in my apartment because we didn't even live together until after we were married. And he had gotten it framed, blown up and framed and said, since they meant the world to you and I was unable to meet them, I would really like to have them at our wedding. And I figured that they could be standing with us. This guy, this guy sounds like a wonderful guy in the very beginning. There's, right. a, there's an important Absolutely. thing you said that I, I think we need to go back to. And people, sure. look, people want to argue this all day long. God given, nature given, whatever it is. Something about the situation made you say, eh, it's not right. But then you felt guilty. And maybe, was that yeah. a manipulation, I think, of that part? I do. I do. Because whenever I started to be like, mm, no, something's not right. 
he would come back and be like, it's just because you've never experienced this before. Maybe you don't think you deserve this, you know, but you do. And your grandparents would want to see you happy. And And here's why I bring it up. One of the things that I was taught and I, I taught people, especially women who are victims of crime. For some reason, and my wife and I have had this conversation many times, my daughters have that many times, many women, in my opinion, are Mm -hmm. are concerned, overly concerned about seeming rude. And I tell people all the time, trust your God-given instincts or nature-given instincts. If something tells you there's something wrong about this, something makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, trust those. If you're wrong, you can always apologize. If you are right and you ignore them because you're afraid of looking rude, you can get really, really, really hurt. Yes. And I don't, I don't, Victoria, I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know how we get people to say, hey, no, something about this isn't right. Let me, let me hold off for a while and then check you out later on. Well, to be honest with you, it, it depends. If you have a real genuine nice person, I don't think they would mind, you know, kind of uh, yeah. taking a step back. But uh, this I, one I, was I, like, no, and then guilt tripped me even I, I could just go to my experience. I, I was married once before. Police work, I say, and, and my inability to handle things better really killed that marriage i was sworn to be a bachelor the rest of my life i was convinced i was unlovable and unloved and nothing then i met my wife and i was convinced victoria that i would never ever get serious with anybody ever again that's the way i acted and within three or four mm-hmm. months i knew i wanted to marry her and i asked her to marry me on a sky swing where we were about 100 feet in the Aww. air and she's like she was crushing my arm because her arms are interlocked she has <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Pull the ripcord. We'll talk about this later on. Give me a few months. And you know what? I, I gave her a few months to think about it. If it was right then, it'd be right later on. It wasn't a big deal. Right. Absolutely. That's true. That's very true. But that's because you're a genuine nice guy, Jay. This guy was like, you know, I've been through so much overseas and I saw so many things and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I, I, you don't have the promise of tomorrow and I just want us to have that family that I've always wanted, you've always wanted, and why are we letting anyone else prevent us from having that? And I was like, I'm a schmuck. Why am I so, you know, being so against this? And and he was good. He was really good at making you feel so belittled that you just kind of gave in. And so you made the choice to go ahead and get married. and Because it's what you wanted. You really wanted, and you thought... You were convinced at that point, even with your your hesitations and little things that made you go, oh, not right. You were convinced this was going to be the relationship for you. This was going to be the life for you. You're going to have the other parts no. of life you didn't want. Yes and no. I knew, I, I had even told him prior to that I had yet to fall in love with him. I loved him as a person. I loved his beliefs, but I hadn't fallen in love with him. And he convinced me that I was preventing myself from allowing that to happen because I was so, you know, like I was just mentally not ready after just coming out of a four-year relationship. And that if I would just put that wall and that guard down, then I would be right where he is and he would see how I'm seeing. Those were his words. And I was like, okay. And he goes, we could have a, a life where you don't have to worry about this and that and this, and we'd be a family. And okay. And I, and he just had me like, literally, I felt like Beetlejuice in the movie with my head gotcha. spinning around and around. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Victoria Cure. We're going to talk more about how bad things got with the domestic violence, her journey afterwards. There's so much more heading your way. 
and things that you are parent or grandparent you need to be aware of. This is Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. It's the Law Enforcement Show, returning our conversation with Victoria Coure. She is a domestic violence survivor, author of the book, Who Kicked First? A Memoir. Her website, acontagioussmile.com, advocating for victims of domestic violence, special needs, families, and more. Be sure to check it out, acontagioussmile.com. We went to break, Victoria. You wound up, you got married, you were convinced to get married, and at what point did you start to see the ugly side? It was shortly after the marriage. I moved in officially um, after the marriage because I had an apartment. And we got pregnant right away. Not by, it was just, you know, it happened. We got pregnant. And then after we learned that I was pregnant, the abuse began. And like you've heard, I am sure, so many times. The first time, I was like, that did not just happen. I, I know he did not just hit me. And he was like, well, if you had just done what I had said, I wouldn't have had to do this. And I'm really sorry. I, I, it won't happen again. And I was I was dumbfounded. I was like, I know you didn't just do that. And then it happened again and again and again. And it escalated as time went on. And I own what I've done. I own my mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I made a deal with the devil. I told him as long as he did not hit my stomach, I would not fight him back. Because the first time I told him I was going to try and leave, he shot and killed my puppy to show me what he would do to me if I tried to get out. Holy cow. And I am pregnant. I am alone. I have been isolated from friends and and family, and I am literally all alone. And so then it it escalated. So as time went on, the abuse got more intense. Now, I have to say one hit, one slap, one kick, one punch, whatever it is, it's one too many. Absolutely one too many. Right. I don't – when I have someone say, oh, you know, I got punched twice – I don't compare it and say, well, I've had a hundred surgeries or over a hundred surgeries to correct what my ex did. Don't come to me complaining because that was nothing. That's not true. One, two, whatever. It's still too many. It should never, ever happen. And that's it. I look at everybody equally. It's not a competition that anyone wants to be in. And unfortunately, way too many people have a thing where they compare trauma. Well, mine's not as bad as so-and-so's. Therefore, I don't. 
I, I shouldn't need help or let's save that help for someone who really needs it because mine's really not that bad. Look, my life's not that bad. We'll kill a lot of people. And yeah, it's about sure. it's about having a good life. It's about having an enjoyable life, the life you want. It may not be exactly what you want, but you, you want to get kind of close to what you want. But being beaten, being kicked, being hit, having a puppy shot in front of you, that's not ex- that's not acceptable at any time, anywhere, under any circumstances. Correct. And part of me is getting really angry just listening to you go through this because, I, look, we've never met. I, like no. I said before, I've got two daughters. And I'm, I'm an old school, old fashioned guy. My daughters live in Buffalo, New York. And one of the things when they start dating someone, one's married, her husband's a really good guy. Uh, the other one is still single. One of the jokes that we have is when they tell me they're starting to talk to someone or they're dating or whatever, I tell them all the time, you tell him if he hurts you, I will fly up to Buffalo, New York. I will go to a convenience store. They sell ski masks there and master locks and socks. <laughs> and I will be, bend them into a pretzel I, and fly back to, to Florida. I don't care. Good for you. And we need I, more I, dads like you. I just don't get it. I, I don't. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. Here's a, what the result is. When, and they tell those guys, and no one touches them. Right. Oh, I know. So here you That's are. Amazing. You're isolated. You're alone. You're going through this. And you're pregnant. Yes. I hate to ask this because I know there's worse. You said you had 100 surgeries so far. It escalated. Yes. It got even worse than that, didn't it? Yes, sir. Can you talk about some of that or no? Um, it's taken me quite a long time, almost a couple decades to, uh, he got to the point where if dinner was on the table late, I would get my nose broken. If I didn't have the laundry completely done and the clothes put away and his uniforms pressed and ready for the next day, I would get a dislocated shoulder, a broken finger. It, it was always something huge. It was just any of it is huge, but going through it and while you're pregnant, it's a challenge. So then he started getting into things um, that were even worse, if that's even possible. He started he in the nursery that we were going to use. He had his computer in there and he was um, participating in. You have to help me here with this, Jay, because this is very hard for well, me to, 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 to disclose. You can say um, that. Young uh, females. Gotcha. And to me, that is just not, I mean, not the abuse either. I'm just saying to be into child pornography is so beyond disgusting. So is abuse. I'm not trying to take away from that, but it's so disgusting. And it, it like, I wasn't allowed to be in there while he was in there. It, that was his quote unquote time. I didn't know what he was watching until I walked in once to bring him something to drink. And I literally almost just collapsed because I couldn't believe what my eyes were looking at. But the abuse, he would drag me through the house. I would get carpet burns. He stabbed me over a dozen times. I kept going. Now, I understand and I know because you told me even your dad, I know not every branch of this military in the United States is bad. I, no. I'm the first one to say that. I do know that there is quite a bit of people who turned a blind eye at our military. And I know that because I'm, I was married to one and he, we were in a small military town. His command was, you know, he had a very small platoon. I kept going to his platoon saying, you've got to help me. This man's going to kill me. And I'm very light skinned. 
I have very, very like China white skin and very obvious when I am trying to hide bruises and dislocations and swollenness and black eye that, and they just, well, what did you do to make a mess? Why didn't you just do what he asked? And then I said, well, are you ever going to do anything? And I've never, Jay, heard this saying before. They said, well, we'll make him grab real estate. What does that mean? You're going to make him grab real estate. I wasn't allowed to speak to them. Um, he made sure I wasn't allowed to. He didn't want to see me around anyone. I wasn't allowed to talk to another man. He was. He would spot check me all the time. He would call me in my office to make sure that I was in my office or I had to call him when I arrived so he could see it on the caller ID. I was absolutely not allowed to go anywhere that my ex boyfriend would be on patrol they hated each other like I can't even explain how much they disliked each other and they they only met the first time after that I introduced them and they had never known each other prior so everywhere I went had to be like here 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 if I was going to the grocery store I had to bring back the receipt if I wasn't back in a timely manner he'd show up at the store or try because we're in a small town or he'd try to go and see where I was if I was on the road on the way back why it took me so long um he would take my cell phone and check every call that was in there he would not allow me to have a charger until he said it was okay it was so much control that I really began to lose who I was I lost my own identity I went from this really strong independent corporate woman who had been teaching martial arts at one point to jumping at every noise to literally learning his patterns and learning how to adapt to the situation. That doesn't sound like control. That sounds like hostage taking to me. This is Law Enforcement Show. We'll turn our conversation with Victoria Cure and learn how she escaped and what she's doing today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Officer Down Memorial Podcast tells the real stories of the men and women we've lost in the line of duty. It is one of the darkest days in Itasca County's history. From the officers who were there. He's probably maybe one of the best investigators and a natural born one. And family and friends who were left behind. We try to get distance from people's tragedies, but the death of Beefy, it just shot home to all of us how permanent murder is. You can subscribe to the Officer Don Memorial Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Return our conversation with Victoria Cure. She is a domestic violence survivor. Also, she wrote the book "Who Kicked First: A Memoir." Her website is a contagioussmile.com, where she does a lot of work with domestic violence survivors, also families with special needs children. Now, early in the conversation, Victoria, and I really appreciate you spending time talking about this. There's two things I want to cover really quickly. One is. What are the things that family members need to look out for? And number two, I know you've had lots of surgeries trying to to recover from the injuries. Let's talk about the signs that families need to be aware of first that there's a problem. Sure. Uh, Well, first, you will see 
that they'll bring the, the person, male or female, because there's been abuse on both sides. They start bringing around the person. They start showing them off to everybody. Then you kind of see that person kind of fade out, kind of fade away from the picture. They will see that they're isolated. They, If they see them, it's never going to be with a partner at first. Uh, they're going to become that withdrawn individual who can't look you in the eye, who's very uh, paranoid, if you will, around their surroundings, who's around. They watch their time a lot. They check their phone. They keep looking because they have to be home at a certain time. They have to be somewhere at a certain time. If they are with their significant other or their partner, a.k.a. their abuser, then Everything that they say is going to be almost programmed where you give absolutely no indication of what's going on. And that's not normally the person that you love or your friend. It's somebody who is going through a horrific situation. You might see indications on their person that shows a, a older injury. Or if they get up and you hug them and they wince, you'll see that there is something going on there. Uh, just a change in their overall disposition, you'll, you'll know something is going on. That way, and then you can try and, and help. And a lot of people are afraid to. A lot yeah. of people are afraid to get out there and help. A lot of people, myself included, are, don't know the right things to say. And, well, I've already went back to my conversation with my daughters that you heard about. I, I obviously don't have that problem. If I suspect something's going on, I'll be very confrontational about it. That's If, if someone gets upset, that's just the way it goes. You right. obviously made your way. You escaped this, and I applaud you for that because that's a huge decision, and it's not something that happens overnight. Uh, and I know it's easy to look back and say, well, something about that person, they must want this if they continue to stay. That's not the case. No. It, no, it's, I call it burning many bridges till you cross that last bridge and you make the difficult choices to move forward. So you did that. And yes, sir. You've had multiple injuries. You, you mentioned you've had 100 surgeries so far. I stopped counting at a hundred. I, I just, it was almost to the point. I, I, I just didn't want to know anymore. It was just like, all right, here we go. I was on the OR table so often that I, I could literally say, I want this one as my anesthesiologist. And, and it, because it was just so frequent that I, that's what it, it has. My daughter is special needs because she came early because of the pregnancy and the abuse. She's had 34 surgeries, thriving survivor, Absolutely amazing. Um, I have had over a dozen stabbings. Um, both sides, if you could have seen me, you could see that both sides of my face have had to be completely rebuilt. Um, my mandula and my mandibula jaws are both totally titanium. All of it is been replaced because they were shattered so bad. I've become deaf. Um, my eardrums were ruptured so bad that I've had to have hearing aids now because I only have 20% hearing in one and no hearing at all in the other. And that would explain for those that that there's some audio issues on Victoria's end. And that's so that we can hear her story. I apologize for that, but I can't hear without it. I don't want you. I just want people to understand that that's the reason why. It's not because of a lack of thought or foreplanning or anything of that. That's what was required so you could be a guest and tell your story. When you left, and you're still going through this. By the way, you're an incredibly young person still. I'm a geezer, so I've... No, you're not. I think we're closer in age than you think. I've had so many surgeries as a result of police work. Three on my right hand and wrist, a couple steel plates, one on my left shoulder. And my wife jokes around about all the scars that they are street tattoos and the, the yes. steel plates are body jewelry from my time of police yes. so maybe you've got some body jewelry and street tattoos as well i 
I, I joke around and now with my husband and say, you know, I'm like eight, nine, 14, depends on the body part, because I, I feel like I've been scooped out like a pumpkin and everything in me is titanium. My left hand is paralyzed and it's all plate and pins and screws in my fingers. Um, I have no, they, they did a nerve conductive study in there. Uh, I have no nerve in there. I've had a nerve transposition. I've had a, a nerve transplant done uh, because of the damage. Uh, my shoulder has been completely replaced and that's all titanium. My knees, my foot, have a screws and plates in it. I have a plate in my head. Um, I, I literally, I, I say I'm the bionic woman, and I joke yeah. around that I could be like the Terminator, yeah, like Lindsay Wagner. Uh, that was her name right? a long time ago. So, what would you say to people that are going through this, that that are victims of domestic violence? And I know people want to say, "Well, mine's not as bad as hers." Bad is bad. If you're going through That's this, right. what would you tell them? How do you get beyond this? I say to them that no one has that much power over you. I went to court. I took him on. I took on, got the rights terminated, that you have an inner light. And what really gets me is when they say they have kids. Let's say you don't think you're worth it. Do you think your kids are worth it? Because they are. And what you're showing a daughter is that it's okay for a man to treat her that way. What you're showing a son is that it's okay for him to treat a woman that way. And it's not. And you have an inner light. And it is flickering. And even if it's just barely flickering, it will still light up a room and you're worth it. And you can get out. You can survive. You have survived 100% of your worst days thus far. You can get out with a successful escape plan. That's why so many people go back is because they don't have it in play. They don't have everything together and organized and know how to get out and be safe. And that's what I help others do. I help them realize what they're missing and what they need to do and get there. And they are worth it. Their children are worth it. We need to stop the cycle and get them the help that they need. That's what is so uh, crucial and important. And with that tiny little bit of inner light that they know they have, it's still in there, even though they feel like they're at their lowest, it's still flickering. And we can bring back that inner light and bring back to the forefront of who they were because they're stronger than they know because they've already survived 100% of their worst days. And you can't undo what happened in the past, but you can create a better life moving forward. It may not always yeah. be the life you want, but uh, it, it, it's a whole lot better than it was. So you wrote a book, Who Kicked First? A Memoir. What prompted you to write this book? My daughter was in a medically induced coma. I was in a wheelchair. I was unable to stimulate her because of the coma. And I was getting interrogated. And they come after the victim, Jay. They always put their eye on the victim. We have to prove that we're telling the truth to the uh, the abuser. And I just started venting on my laptop and I was just putting down there, you know, what was going on because I couldn't scream. I was, I literally felt like an asthmatic being suffocated in a cage of that was the best way I could give an analogy of what I was going through. And I started just venting in to my laptop and I had a beautiful respiratory therapist come up to me and say, you will save somebody's life if you told your story. And I said, there's no way. Have you met him? Well, yeah, there's no way. And then I realized as time went on that he doesn't have that power over me. He testified in court that he knew never to hit me unless I was pregnant because I'd fight him back. I would absolutely self-defend, never hit first, self-defend. And he knew that. But I wanted my daughter to see what being a strong woman is and that you can come back from the lowest of lows and 
just soar to the top. And she deserved that. The listeners deserve that. Everyone deserves to have that happiness. And that's what I did. And so after about 10 years, I finally published it. Awesome. And I say awesome, not that you went through this. Awesome. You wrote the book. And you have a a website. You do a lot of things. We're almost out of time. The website is thecontagioussmile.com. Can people buy the book there? Yes. And can they get information about a lot of other things that you make available there as well? Yes, sir. And last but not least, are you available for speaking and talking and uh, group presentations about domestic violence or special needs families? Absolutely. And how do people get in touch with you? What's the best way? They can go on to a contagiousmile.com and email me directly. You will get me. You can go to our Facebook, and we have a Facebook group, a Contagious Smile Support Group. And you can go to Instagram. I have my podcast, The Contagious Smile, where we just showcase these beautiful individual souls. And I, I will get back to you absolutely as soon as I can, and we will make this right. We will find that inner light again. And you can also reach out to me, and I will send her or do an email introduction. Victoria, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Telling your stories, very much appreciated. Thank you, sir. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.